Hello, and welcome to Second Look, the show where we pause, take a step back, and re-examine politics and culture. And today, first up, we're going to be talking Ted Cruz. Last Saturday, I participated in a roundtable Google Plus chat with folks from Red Millennial as well as Outset, and the panelists brought up some really cool things. It was a great show. It was about two hours long, and I'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested in seeing that and you missed it. Definitely worth checking out. We covered a whole bunch of topics, and the discussion and analysis was really great, but there's a few things that I want to explore a little more in depth. So we will get to that today after a brief word from our sponsor. Today's second look is brought to you by the Octopods, portable mobile charging solutions so you never run out of juice while you're on the go. Make sure to check out their website and support the show at octo-pod.com slash outset. That's octo-pod.com slash outset. So Ted Cruz, if you're listening to this show, the chances that you don't know who he is are very slim, so I'll just jump right into it. He has some very unique attributes coming into this 2016 campaign, and I just want to talk a little bit about what I think his strengths and weaknesses are. Really, the thing that struck me first about Ted Cruz is how he is unapologetic. Everything he does, he does fully, and he doesn't really apologize for anything. And that can be a strength, but it can also be a weakness. He's also definitely a fighter. I'm pretty sure Drudge's headline when... Cruz first got to the Senate was Cruz unleashed. He's not afraid to stand and fight for what he believes in. He does have some weaknesses, though, some of which have been explored in depth by other columnists, such as I highly recommend you go read Charles C.W. Cook's piece on, um, I don't remember the name of it, but it was about how Ted Cruz basically sounds like a televangelist when he speaks. And he sounds like it anywhere and everywhere that he's speaking. And so that's something that's really got to be worked on and going to be really difficult for him to avoid in the primary. And that kind of goes into what I think one of his big weaknesses is that he doesn't feel real. He suffers from much of the same thing that Mitt Romney did. He just looks like some guy in a suit on TV. He doesn't feel like a real person. He just seems like a distant politician. And another thing about Ted Cruz that really could hurt him in 2016 is his reputation. Now, among conservatives, a lot of people like him for what I was saying before, that he's a fighter and he's unapologetic. But If he goes on to win the nomination, he might have a hard time winning over independents because his reputation, largely just assigned to him by the media, is that of a ruthless man who's willing to manipulate the government 
to get his own desires. He's willing to shut the whole thing down and make people be out of work just so that he can get what he wants. Oh, and also, he wants to take away everyone's health care. This reputation, while some of it is incredibly manufactured and expertly manufactured, I might add, is really a big liability of his coming into 2016. So, with these strengths and with these weaknesses, what chance does Cruz stand of getting the nomination? And more importantly, is he someone that we want getting the nomination? Well, that's what I want to get into today. I have some issues with Ted Cruz that would make it really hard for me to support him in the primary. Merriam-Webster defines grandstand as to behave or speak in a way that is intended to impress people and to get public approval. This, without a doubt, is my number one issue with Senator Cruz. I feel like so many of his public statements are just grandstanding. I get the feeling he likes the applause. He wants to be approved in public, and to do so, he comes off as having a really big ego and as doing just about anything to score points with his base. Middle Eastern Christians are among the most persecuted and oppressed people in the world. They face daily the threat of total extermination from people all around them. Just recently, we heard of ISIS executing 21 Coptic Christians on a beach in a very carefully edited video. These Christians live every day in horrible conditions, with a government who could at any time descend upon them and throw them in prison, murder their families. Their only hope of staying alive sometimes is to ally with this government. I invite you to place yourself in the shoes of a Middle Eastern Christian. You have a certain set of beliefs that is diametrically opposed to the beliefs of everyone in power. Not only that, but the beliefs of everyone in power specifically teach that you are infidels and taking a radical view of those beliefs teaches that infidels need to be exterminated. We in the West tend to call Islamic governments moderate when they don't execute people for their religion. We then continue to ignore a whole bunch of things that our so-called moderate regimes in the Middle East do, but that is a story for another time. These Christians, even the ones living in moderate societies are hated. They are persecuted. They are ostracized. And they are alone. 
Last September, Ted Cruz committed grandstanding, in my opinion, of the worst sort. And it is this single event, more than any other, that causes me to be hesitant of a Cruz presidency because I think it speaks to his character. Senator Cruz was the keynote speaker of the In Defense of Christians Summit, an event which National Review's Catherine Jean Lopez reported had the express goal of talking about the urgent need to keep the Islamic State and others from wiping out Christianity in the land where it has been for two millennia. I'll read a little bit from Catherine's report from the event. This is an existential threat, not just something to buzz about on Twitter. The In Defense of Christians Summit was aiming to do hard work, getting people focused on this genocide. It brought five patriarchs from Eastern churches together. They even managed to get a meeting with President Obama, who were welcomed by the Archdiocese of Washington. Cardinal Donald Worrell was there for the opening prayer service and closing mass at a Maronite church in the district. This wasn't a foreign policy conference. It had a very specific and critically urgent goal. From inside the ballroom Wednesday night, Cruz's remarks were widely agreed to be unnecessarily off-topic and divisive, sabotaging the good work that was in progress. Christians are dying, and we're throwing political slogans at one another and making judgments. Now, what that was referencing, when Senator Cruz took the stage, he began speaking about Israel, as he is wont to do. It was out of place, and it was definitely divisive. These people... Well, let me just tell you what Senator Cruz said. He started talking about how Christianity had no better friend in the Middle East than Israel. But he said this to people who are living under Hezbollah and other groups that don't like Israel. And honestly, a lot of the people who grow up in the Middle East might not like Israel. Whether or not it's accurate, they view themselves as being discriminated against. And it's hard to like someone that you think discriminates against you. And as Ted Cruz was speaking about what he sees as the merits of Israel... In regards to Middle Eastern Christianity, the crowd booed him. This was not the most respectful thing to do on their part, but it was not the most respectful thing to do on his part either. Reading again from Catherine's report, a key goal of the summit was to bolster resolve here in the U.S., focusing people on the looming elimination of Christianity over in the Middle East. As best as I could tell from that ballroom Wednesday night, they booed Ted Cruz because, instead of using his platform to help nameless, foreign, forgotten Christians targeted by Islamic extremists, he added yet another distraction to the mix.
I was angry after this event. After the crowd booed him, Senator Cruz said, If you will not stand with Israel, I will not stand with you, and walked off the stage. And conservatives from all around applauded him for his support of Israel. Well, we know Ted Cruz has unwavering support of Israel, but this was not the time, this was not the place to bring it up. At the expense of the most persecuted group of people in the world, Ted Cruz used his name, used his platform to score political points. Let me read to you a little bit of Rod Dreyer's piece in The American Conservative about this. The Cruz incident involved Christian people who really and truly are in danger of being exterminated. They do not have the most powerful standing army in the region to defend them. They do not have weapons, and certainly not nuclear weapons. They have nothing. If they were not Christian, their plight would warrant our urgent concern. But because they are Christian, it seems to me that citizens of the largest and most powerful nation of Christians in the world ought to be particularly concerned about their plight. This is even more true, given that it was the war we launched that brought about the instability leading to their persecution and potential genocide. Do the Christians of the Middle East hold opinions contrary to our own about the state of Israel? Many, probably most, probably nearly all of them certainly do. Are they Jew-haters? Some are, no doubt, and that is wicked. Are they driven by conspiracy theory? Sure, and I have been on the West Bank and heard some insane ones. But the entire Arab world works that way to a degree that beggars belief. The Middle East Christians are like us, flawed, sometimes badly flawed. But they are unlike us in that we are not at the mercy of hostile Muslims, many of whom wish to exterminate us. They are like the Israelis in that way, but again, they are unlike the Israelis in that they have no way to defend themselves except by their wits. That usually means making alliances with unsavory actors. He goes on to talk about how it's horrible that these people have to rely on the likes of Assad and Hezbollah to protect them, but they really have no other choice. They cannot stand in support of Israel and remain safe. And as I see Ted Cruz giving speeches, I can't help but go back to this one and feel the plight of the people in the room who were probably very excited to have this firebrand of a United States senator come in and speak in defense of Christians in the Middle East. You know, Ted Cruz is no stranger to criticizing ISIS and talking about how ISIS needs to be stopped. And these people were probably expecting a speech that would bring attention to them and their plight. And instead, the speech brought attention to Ted Cruz. 
And that, to me, is far worse a crime than if Senator Cruz had neglected to bring up Israel in one speech about the Middle East. As a conservative, I appreciate Ted Cruz's push for us to nominate a candidate with strong character who's not afraid to stand for conservative principles. However, I'm not convinced that Ted Cruz is that candidate. That said... Speaking about the viability of his candidacy, does he even stand a chance at the nomination? And I say absolutely yes. I'll talk about that more in a minute. Some of the problems he might face on the way to that nomination. And some of the ways he might be able to get around it. Really quickly though, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of Second Look is brought to you by the Octopods. Octopods are these really cool things. They're battery backups for your mobile devices, and they come in a couple different sizes. But my favorite thing that Octopods offers is they have this cord that has three different connectors on the end of it. So you only need one cord for three different devices. If that sounds cool to you, make sure you go to octo-pod.com outset. Take a look, buy something, support the show. It's really cool stuff. That's octo-pod.com outset. So the real question surrounding Ted Cruz is whether or not he is actually a viable candidate for the nomination. Can he win the Republican primary? A lot of people are saying no, but I say absolutely yes. Do not underestimate him. He has insane star power in some circles of the conservative movement, and you really can't underestimate the power of the grassroots. It will be hard for him to overcome candidates with less controversial records and candidates with far more money. One of the things that Stephen Perkins, our editor-in-chief here at Outset and host of the Stephen Perkins program, check it out on Thursday. Anyway, one of the things he said in our roundtable with Red Millennial last Saturday was that it's expected this next election is expected to cost a billion dollars. The candidate who wins will have raised and likely spent a billion dollars. That is an insane amount of money. But can Ted Cruz beat that amount of money just fundraising from the grassroots? Probably not. Can he beat that amount of money in an election contest? remains to be seen. But I think that Ted Cruz will perform better in places like Iowa and South Carolina than, say, maybe Rand Paul. Um, He will struggle in many states, though. And I think something interesting, he might struggle in open primary states. It's always interesting to see how many 
I believe it happened in Michigan in 2012. A whole bunch of Michigan Democrats went and voted for Rick Santorum, trying to get him to win. I think it was Michigan, the primary there. And it, it'll be interesting to see if at all that plays a role in the 2016 election. Clearly, Ted Cruz is capable. He is savvy and he is passionate. And it it will be a challenge for other candidates to overcome those three things, especially if they are going after the same voting block as his. Also, another advantage in his pocket is um, jumping in early. The fact that he's already in the race, well, everyone else is still in the exploratory phase, every other major candidate. That, I think, affords him a major advantage because he'll have the opportunity to be out in front of all the mudslinging. And then if someone comes in and starts waging negative campaign tactics, he can say, Hey, look, when it was just me in the race, I wasn't being a mean guy. I invoked Ronald Reagan's 11th Amendment. I wasn't criticizing all these other candidates. I'm rising above the fray. Vote for me. I'm different. And I think that will be an advantage that Cruz has. And also, he was able to dominate the news cycle for, like, a week straight. That is really interesting, because coming up soon here, Rand Paul's expected to announce April 7th, Marco Rubio April 13th. Everyone's probably going to start jumping into the race. And you're not going to get a full week of news for any one candidate from here on out. So Ted Cruz got that name recognition out there to people who don't track politics, but maybe every now and then see something as they're walking down the street and see a newspaper headline or something like that. He got his name out there, and I really do feel like that will be to his advantage. But... Going back to the billion-dollar question, can he raise enough money? He raised a million dollars in one day. That's incredibly impressive, because none of it was from, as far as we know, any of the major, like, kingpin donors. A lot of people are talking about... I've, I've never actually heard his name pronounced. I've only seen it written. It's Peter... Thiel or Peter Thiel. I, I'm, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but he is a major donor in this race, and people have said that he will likely go for either Rand Paul or Ted Cruz. So Ted Cruz is likely trying to get that one, but I know for a fact, because he talks about it, that he is not going after the same people as, say, the Jeb Bush... Chris Christie, maybe even Scott Walker candidates in this race who are courting the party elites. That is not Ted Cruz's game plan. And it concerns me to no end that the party elites with so much money have so much say over the race. You know, we don't want to be the party where behind closed doors, a few people pick the nominee. And sometimes, with all the money that's in politics these days, it 
it does seem like that's the case. However, I'm equally concerned by Ted Cruz's approach because if the grassroots get bled dry in the primary, who's going to be involved in the general? Well, those very same party elites. If, If Ted Cruz gets his billion dollars of grassroots support and then goes on to lose the primary, all that money is gone. And who's left? The bigwigs. And that concerns me equally. Really, there's no good way to approach money in politics, I feel like. I I'm I feel like every single person, whether Democrat or Republican, wishes that money had less of an influence over who gets elected than it has. However, the ways that Democrats go and handle campaign finance reform would be very different from the ways Republicans would go out and handle it. Maybe that's something we'll have to take a second look at in a future episode. But that money is going to be, in my opinion, the biggest problem Cruz is going to face in the primary. More than his televangelist vibe, more than his grandstanding, more than his polarization and lack of compromise and reputation as a progress blocker I think he's going to have a really hard time fighting against the money. As I wrap up the show today, since this is a show about politics and culture, and prior to now it's been all politics, I think it's only right that I talk a little bit, just briefly, about something going on in culture. You probably saw on social media today, as I did, that Jon Stewart is going to be replaced by a comedian by the name of Trevor Noah, who um, will be taking over as the host of The Daily Show. Now, I have a little theory here that Trevor Noah is just going to be a stand-in for a little while until maybe, oh, I don't know, say mid-2017, at which point he will be replaced by another prominent African-American figure who's maybe been, you know, out of work, looking for a job since, say, mid-January of... 2017, and he might be looking to get into the TV business outside of his normal business of, you know, being the president. You've been listening to Second Look. I'm your host, Benjamin Green, and I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can follow me on Twitter at bgreenaz, and make sure you follow at Outset Magazine. Check outsetmagazine.com. There's some great material being posted there by our contributors. And of course, 
follow Stephen Perkins at Stephen with a PH underscore Perkins. Check out his show that will be here on Thursday, the Stephen Perkins program. And make sure you subscribe, get every single episode of this show. And if you really like today's show, please make sure to go give us a rating on iTunes. That helps us a ton. And I think that wraps it up for today. Have a great week.